It's about time to begin. This afternoon, we'll start with number 53. Number 53. Years are spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me. There Four hundred ninety-five. Four ninety-five. After this song, we'll have our prayer and scripture reading. Oh, the depth and the riches of God's saving grace, flowing down from the cross for me. The death for my sins by the Savior was paid in his suffering on Calvary. Oh, the depth of such wonderful love, flowing boundless and full and free. And the death for my sins was all in his suffering on Calvary. Oh, what marvelous mercy, what infinite love, what immeasurable grace I see. By his blood I am cleansed, I am happy and free. Through his suffering on Calvary.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day that we come together to worship you and give thanks for, for Jesus and all that he means to us. Father, I just pray that you be with us in our service, lead, guide, and direct us, and um, that we grow closer to you through the word that's given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Our scripture reading is from the book of Romans, um, chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. Romans 10, 8 through 11. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Before our lesson, we'll sing number 200. Number 200. If you can, please, let's stand as we sing this song. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the heaven praise his name, praise Jehovah and the highest, all his angels praise proclaim, all his souls together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high, praise him, oh we have not
Good afternoon. I hope you all got as much food as you wanted and everybody's stuffed and ready to study with me because we're in Romans today. Uh, so be flipping over to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. Uh, we are studying through a series we're calling Twisted Scriptures. And so this is a section of scriptures that uh, have been uh, misguided, um, that uh, people have, have distorted to their own uh, devices. And Romans 10 is one of those ones um, that falls right in the middle of that. So much harm has been done to truth um, because of a misapplication uh, from Romans chapter 10. Now, that being said, um, there is a lot in Romans 10. Uh, this is a weighty passage. Um, all of Romans is. So if you ever want to take a, a seminary level, uh, doctorate level uh, class in theology, start reading through Romans and, and, get, uh, and read it right, read it well. Um, it, it is, it's amazing. Um, it's beautiful and deep and powerful. And, and really, Paul wants to draw out these themes of, of justification and sanctification. It's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's, that's really what he's trying to get at in the book of Romans and, and what that looks like and encouraging people to live lives that are in line with Scripture. Uh, so Romans is a beautiful book, and it is ah, difficult. Um, Peter actually looks back on Paul's writings at, at toward the end of Peter's life. And I think it's in his second letter. He says, Brother Paul's, um, some of his writings are, are quite difficult. They're, they're hefty. He may have been thinking of Romans as he wrote that, that thought. And so we're, we're going to dive into Romans 10 today. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll try to draw out um, what Paul's trying to get us to see from Romans 10. Um, 9 through 11, Romans 9 through 11 are really one seg section, one, one segment. They all go together. And he, if, so if you flip back to Romans 9, you'll, you'll kind of start seeing Paul is making a case for Israel not being in God's fold. They're no, they're no longer his people. Um, now, of course, the church is his people. And a Jew, if he had converted to Christ, he's welcome, right? Like we talked about in our in our lesson this morning with Philip, everyone's welcome. If, you, if you're if you willing to confess and you're willing to be immersed in water for the purpose of forgiveness of your sins, then, you, then you're welcome here. Um, but the Jews didn't want to do that. They wanted to get to Yahweh all on their own. They wanted to access Him. They wanted relationship with Him through strict adherence to the Old Testament law, through the Mosaical law. And Paul says, and Peter's going to back this up later, that's just not possible. We couldn't do that. The Jewish people couldn't do that. And so you're laying on a burden on these, these brand new Christians that not even Jewish people throughout the ages could, could attain. Um, and so the question arises, well, who's, who's really at fault here? Is God picking on the Jewish people? They have all these um, exemplary benefits of, of being his people in the past. They've got all these promises. Jesus himself came through the lineage of Abraham. Uh, and so like there's all these benefits to being a, a Jewish person, but it seems like an awful big detraction in, in Paul's day to be a Jew because you've got all these stumbling blocks that are just constantly thrown in your way that, that why you can't see Jesus. And so 
Paul's almost answering this question in 9 through 11. Who's, who's really to be at fault here uh, for the Jewish people not being able to come to Christ? And Paul lays it squarely on the Jewish people's shoulders. You did this to yourselves. This is, this is your fault. You had every benefit. You should have seen him. You should have seen, you've been looking for the Messiah for 2,000 years and you didn't see him when he was right in your midst. And this is, this is your fault. But if you're willing to come, if you're willing to, to humble yourself now and accept him as, as Lord, and he's got to be Lord, he's got to be king, he's got to be absolutely everything, everything. There's no half measures here. That's another thing that Paul's going to keep coming down on in Romans, specifically in Romans 10 today. There's, there's no half measures. Um, if we want to identify ourselves with Christ, he says you've got to be wholeheartedly sold out for him. You've got to be all the way devoted. There's, there's, no, there's no halfway devotion. There's no 75% devotion. There's not really any 99% devotion. There is, I'm all in, and, and you're worth everything I have to give up to have you. And so that, that's really Romans 9 through 11, the, these, these, three, these three chapters. That's really what he's trying to drive at. Uh, if you look in nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, this is what he says. Uh, you're probably familiar with this passage. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul's upset, right? And he thinks that you might think that he's being a little um, dramatic maybe. Maybe he's exaggerating or something. So he wants you to understand he, this is, he, he's being truthful here. Um, his conscience, he, he draws it out. He draws the Holy Spirit out as, uh, as his witnesses. He says, this is, this is bothering me. Well, what's bothering you, Paul? Verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. Ooh, he's really bringing out everything now, isn't he? This, this is a big deal to him. He would withdraw himself from Jesus for the sake of his brothers, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, that is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, Paul's, Paul's, this is the famous passage, right? Paul says, if, if the Jewish people, if Israel, physical Israel, would come to Christ, I would happily cut myself off from him just so that my people could know him. That's a big deal, right? And that's how he starts this, this section. And throughout the rest of chapter 9, he's going to uh, pinpoint how Israel has just fallen short time and time and time again. Uh, and they keep on coming back to the law. They keep on coming back to Moses' law. Uh, and they think that, that strict adherence to that law is going to be what saves them. And Paul says, it's just not how it works anymore. That's, he, he's moved on. He's always been looking forward to Christ. He's always been waiting for Jesus to fulfill, to tell us what all these things have always meant, what the Mosaic Law always meant. He's been waiting for Jesus to come along and do that in the right time, the perfect time for him to do that. He's been waiting for that moment, and now it's coming. You guys missed it, and you're the ones who crucified him. So that, that's really chapter 9. In verse uh, chapter 10, Starting in verse 1, we just kind of need to walk through several of these verses uh, to kind of unpack what's going on here. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me skip down. Um, 
Skip down to verse 9, 9 and 10. Um, this is the twisted scripture part. Um, this is where people will, will make these verses say some things that they're not saying. So let's skip down. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so that, that's, that's the twisted scripture part. And so a lot of our denominational friends will say, well, all you have to do is, is believe, right? And confess Jesus as Lord and, and you're saved, right? That, that's what the text says. They're not wrong, right? That's just not a complete answer. Belief is 100% necessary, right? Um, even the demons believe and tremble, though. That's what James says, and certainly they're not saved. Uh, so while they have a piece of the answer, it's not the complete answer. And so belief is necessary. Confession is necessary as well, although I don't think he's talking about confession like you're thinking confession. Like most people today would think confession. I don't think Paul's using that word the way that we would normally use it. And we'll talk more about that as we go through the rest of this lesson. But these two things, belief and confession, are both necessary components to becoming saved. But they're not the, the point at which we're saved. They're not the complete answer. Of course, uh, we understand, you know, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Each one of these things are essential components to salvation. And so we need to work through, we need to work our way through Romans 10 and really try to figure out what's going on here because this is where the sinner's prayer comes from, right? Um, Catfish did a wonderful job several weeks ago in his Devo on Romans 10, 13. And, and it's, it's along the same lines. Paul's talking about pretty much the same thing there as he's talking about a couple verses earlier, of course. And so Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so a lot of our friends, most people you know uh, in the denominational world have said this prayer and they think they're saved. The only problem is that prayer is not in Scripture, is it? You can't find it anywhere in there. And when you start looking at the whole Bible, what the Lord says to do to be saved in the New Testament, you come away with, several answers. Belief and confession are two of them, but again, that's not a complete answer, is it? It's repentance is necessary as well, right? And they wouldn't, our denominational friends wouldn't leave out repentance from confession and belief. They would, they would understand that that's, that's tied in, but for some reason that they leave out baptism. We'll, we'll walk more through that in just a minute, but I think that this is a a necessary thing for us to walk through. Because like I said, most people that you encounter who are not members of the church will have said this prayer uh, and, and they walk around the rest of their life thinking that God is pleased with them and that they're saved and that if they were to die right now that they would go to heaven. And it's based on this prayer that they saved, that they said. Um, Catfish talked about Billy Graham's uh, uh, tract and, and you've seen people on the television, say this prayer. You, you may have uh, talked to folks that have that have said this prayer, and so I think this is a a pivotal point for us to talk about. It it may be uh, among the most twisted of the scriptures, and so let's let's walk let's walk through it. Let's work our way through it. 
Um, all right, Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says they're passionate, man. Paul knows about zeal, right? Paul himself was in this boat. He was passionate, but he was missing some key components, right? And he says they're in the same boat. That They're, they're so passionate about God, so passionate about doing right, about righteousness. They're focused on that. They're missing some key components. They've got some stumbling blocks thrown in their path. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came to make us righteous. And the law, the Mosaic law, really led up to, to Him. So if you want to find the culmination of the Mosaic law, it's in Him. And so you need to listen to Him. When He talks, you need to pay attention. Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, in verses 6, 7, and 8, we get into some really interesting stuff. And he's going to point back to an Old Testament passage. It's in Deuteronomy 30. Uh, so let me read to you uh, Romans 10, uh, starting in verse 6. And then we're going to go to Deuteronomy 30. And, and try to figure out what's going on and how Paul's using that passage to make this passage more clear. So Romans 10, 6, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So hold your finger in Romans 10, and flip over to Deuteronomy 30. Let's figure out what Paul is drawing, where Paul's drawing this, this section from. It's in, it's, it starts in chapter 30, verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. So don't forget, Romans 9 through 11 is really all about the Jews trying to follow the Mosaical law. And it's difficult, right? Um, in Galatians 2, when uh, Peter has been seduced by some of the Jewish people uh, to going back into Judaism, he was, he was buddies with the Gentiles, the Gentile converts that have come to Christ. And then these Jewish teachers came and they started drawing even Peter away. And even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was drawn away um, seduced by this Jewish leaning. The law is difficult. Um, and even Peter was drawn away. But when Paul comes in contact with him in Galatians, Paul's going to meet Peter and he says, listen, not even, not even we or our forefathers could bear the law of Moses. This thing's, this thing's hard. And Jesus is offering a much more grace-oriented alternative. Um, and so when Paul starts looking, when the Holy Spirit really starts looking for a way to explain that to a group of Jewish Christians in Rome, he goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 30. And so maybe you need to know what's going on in Deuteronomy 30. Um, the first generation of um, 
Jewish people who have come out of Exodus, who have, who have come out of Egypt, they've they've all died, right? They didn't they didn't go into the promised land. Um, they they didn't trust. They refused uh, to go in. Remember the uh, the Canaanites are are giants, and we're like crickets in our own eyes, grasshoppers, uh, and so they they refused to trust in the Lord. Now 40 years have passed. They've all died in the wilderness. Moses has passed leadership, is actually in the process in Deuteronomy 30 of passing leadership over to Joshua. Even Moses himself is not going to get to go into the promised land. But he's passing leadership over to Joshua. But he's got some parting words for the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 30. And he wants them to remember some things. And this is one of the things that he really wants them to remember. Deuteronomy 30, 11, starting in verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. You need to make a notation there back to Romans 10, uh, 6, 7, and 8. Verse 12, he says, it's, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? So he's saying it's not, it's not impossible. You can and should know what God wants from you. That, that's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 30, 11 and 12, this, this little section here. That's what he wants you to get across, is you can and should know what God wants from you. You can know his will. You can know what's pleasing to him. You can know what displeases him. It's, 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 not, it's not even hard to figure that stuff out. He, he tells you what he wants. And you don't even have to go into heaven and, and drag it down. It's not like it's too far away for you to, for you to uh, grab a hold of this information. Verse 13, he says, Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? He's not, he says, You don't even have to cross the ocean to figure out what God wants from you. He's told you what he wants. This isn't, this isn't rocket science. If Moses was um, doing this speech today, he might say, This isn't rocket science. God's told you what he wants from you. It's not impossible or too far away for you to understand what he wants. You can do this. Verse 14, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you can do it. That you can do it. That you can obey. That's really what he's driving at back in Romans chapter 10. Are you going to obey? Um, so flip back to Romans 10. All with the background of the things we just learned from Deuteronomy 30. We're bringing that now into Romans 10. And so we understand Paul's using the exact same logic that Moses was using in Deuteronomy 30, right? God's will is not impossible for you to understand. In fact, he's told you what he wants. Okay? The Jews thought it was really hard to understand what God wanted from them. You have to follow all these laws. We trip up every time. We can't really attain it. We're not very good at doing these things. But that's the only way to know God. And Paul says, no, no, no. You, you missed the whole point. Jesus helps you know God. Jesus is God. And so if you follow him, it's not all that hard to figure out what he wants from you. Okay. Start in verse 9. Romans 10, verse 9. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth 
one confesses and is saved. And so, who is he really talking to here? We've got the context down now, right? We're kind of understanding what all Paul's trying to do here in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's talking to Jewish Christians, at least for the most part, or none of this makes sense. Pagans, Romans, would not have been able to pick up on Deuteronomy 30. They would have needed some Jewish brothers to be able to walk them through everything that Paul's trying to get across to them here. And so I think he is nodding. I think he's talking to uh, Jewish Christians. And then they were supposed to have the responsibility, I suppose, to interpret this for the Roman, um, the Roman brothers. But really what he's driving at is it's not impossible for you to understand what God wants from you. You can do this. He's told you what he wants from you. And so as we think through verses 9 and 10, we have to answer maybe another question. You ever been talking to somebody and they answer a question you didn't ask and you think, are you paying attention to me? Or maybe you've been on the other end of a phone conversation. Somebody else in the room, maybe your spouse or a friend or whatever, is, is having a phone conversation. You only get to hear one part of the phone conversation and you think, what's going on here? You know, That's, that's the situation we're, we're in here. And so we have to kind of figure out what question is Paul answering? He's not answering, what must I do to be saved? He's not answering that. How do we know that? Well, who's he writing to? Who's Romans written to? Look back in verse 1. Romans 10, 1, he says, brothers. These are saints. These are already baptized people. So he's not writing to them, how do you be saved? He's not answering that question because they're already saved. He's telling them, how do you stay saved? Make sense? Everybody with me? I know Romans 10 is hard. Romans is hard. Romans 10 is hard. Um, trying to uh, help us figure this little section out here. So um, I, I think that's what he's doing here. So he's not talking to, uh, he's not answering the question, what must I do to be saved? He's answering the question, what do I need to do to stay saved? He's already covered what do I need to do to be saved back in Romans 6, right? And he talks about baptism there. Um, what shall we say then in verse 1? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's still talking to believers, right? He's still talking to Christians because he reminds them, you died to sin. And now he's going to tell them, how they died to sin. Verse 3, 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Of course they know that. That was one of the things that they would have had to been told before they were baptized. Verse 4. We were buried therefore with him and by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So there he's talking about what it looks like to be saved and how I, how I go about doing that. Um, in Romans 10, he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about how to be saved. He's not answering that question. He's answering the question, how do I stay saved? And so what's the answer, Paul, to how do I stay saved? Well, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, who does that in the first century? Who confesses with their mouth 
that Jesus is Lord in the first century, especially if you're in Rome. Romans, you probably already know this, right? Romans was written to Christians living in Rome, which when he writes this letter is the epicenter for persecution against Christians. So if you walk around saying, I identify with Christ, he is, he is king, he is Lord, he is sovereign, everything I have is his and I am wholeheartedly devoted to him and I will not look back. And you can do whatever you want to me, but I will not give up on him. He is everything. What does that get you if you're in first century Rome? That gets you an electric chair, electric chair sentence, a crucifixion. They would have killed you, beheaded. Paul himself will be beheaded not many years after he writes Romans, right? For that exact reason. Peter will, will also uh, be martyred for that exact All the apostles, save John, will be martyred for that exact same reason. John, of course, is exiled to Patmos. So what does it look like? Who does that? Who confesses that Jesus is the Christ? Someone who is wholeheartedly devoted to him. Someone who has fully believes that he is king over everything, that he's in charge of everything. And everything I am is his. I don't get choices anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, right? Galatians 2.20, that's what Paul would say there. And so that's who does this. He's talking, he's encouraging these Christians who no doubt were beleaguered and hurting, right? He's encouraging them to be completely devoted. You stand in, you stand in there, stay in, stay inside of Christ. What else? So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You'll be saved. Who believes that in the first century? Who believes that Jesus really was raised from the dead? And what does it make them do? It makes them stand in. It makes them stay inside of Christ. In fact, it makes, it makes us lean in, doesn't it? Because if he raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to do the exact same thing for me. He has that kind of power. That's who he is. And so I'm not afraid of the Roman government. Guys like Saul of Tarsus can, can run around and try to persecute people. And I'm not afraid of them either. I'm not afraid of dying. Because I know that he's going to resurrect me. And so the people that confess this and believe this, he's saying, you need to get on board. You need to be wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus. This is not about how do you get saved. This is how you stay saved. Again, half-hearted measures aren't aren't good enough. They're not they're not sufficient. They're not it's not okay. We don't we don't get to just go through the motions. That's what the Jews were were guilty of. They were just going through the motions, paying lip service. And he says under this new kingdom, that's not that's not how it works. Everyone is devoted to Jesus and we're all completely sold out for him. We, we do what he wants. We follow his will at, at any and all costs. 
We follow. We line up behind behind him. We agree with him. That's what confession is, right? Um, Let me point you to a couple of verses. Actually, let me me read to you uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 in the... uh, Let's see. If you got your uh, phones, grab your phone and go to the YouVersion app and do the complete Jewish Bible and look up Romans 10, 9 and 10 and listen to the way that it translates this, this passage. That if you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yahshua is Lord, Jesus, right? Jesus is Lord and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. For with the heart one goes on trusting and thus continues toward righteousness, while with the mouth one keeps on making public acknowledgement and thus continues toward deliverance. These are constant things these people are doing. This is not a one-time thing. In, in the church, we've made confession the thing that you do before you're baptized. And it is that, but it is infinitely more than that. It is a daily agreement with Jesus. It is a daily evangelizing people, telling them what he's done, telling them who he is. Remember he says in you know, Matthew 10, See, verses 32 and 33. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So this is something that we, we do. Not just one time, not just one day, but, but all the time. Throughout our entire life, this is something that we're focused on. We keep coming back to this confession. It's not just, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. It's so much more than that. Um, let me take you to a couple more verses. Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. You're familiar with this verse. Uh, this is when... Uh, Jesus is standing in front of uh, this area where there's all these idols. And he has a question for the disciples. In verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So who had Jesus been telling the disciples that he is? They had heard from him that he is God. He said it repeatedly by this point. All the other voices in in their world were saying something different. But his one voice was in their ear saying, I'm the Christ, I'm special, I'm, I'm God. And so when he asked that question, what did they, what, what was their answer? I agree with you. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with the outsiders. I agree with with you. Check out one more. John chapter 11. John chapter 11. 
This is really what confession is. It's agreeing with God. John 11, 25 through 27. Jesus said to, this is, this is when uh, Lazarus has died. Jesus has come to Bethany. He's talking to Martha. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet, he shall, live, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes in and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What's so interesting is her, her, her retort back. She says exactly what he says. She agrees with him, right? She's confessing. Uh, Romans 10, back to Romans 10. That's, that's really what Paul's trying to get us to see. Do you agree with God? Is he everything? Is he king? Is he good? Is he righteousness? Do you agree with that? Are you on board? Wholeheartedly, no looking back, are you on board? That's, that's what he's trying to drive at in Romans 10. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about how you stay saved because he's obviously talking to saved people already. Why would he tell them how to be saved? He's not. Um, if you go back through and you look at the, uh, the, the, uh, the context here, that, that bears that out. And so that's one of the things we keep coming back to in this series is context, context, context. You've got to read through the context to figure out what's really going on. And so uh, you skip down to, to uh, verse 11. He says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's, he's reminding them. He's encouraging them. Keep on going. Because those who don't believe in him, who don't confess... They're the ones who are going to be put to shame. But you, you who believe, you who confess, you who live this life, who are devoted to him, you're not going to be shamed. Nope, no shame for you. He will hold up his end of the bargain. Verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters what you do. If we're willing to Call on him. I think Catfish did a great job during his, uh, his Devo on this topic. You should go back and listen to it. Uh, but calling on him means more than just saying his name. It is a lifestyle. And that's exactly what, that's, that's the train Paul is on in Romans 10. Who are you? Are you devoted to Christ? Or are you half-hearted? Because half-heartedness ain't going to get there. Lukewarmness is not going to get you there. But if you're wholeheartedly devoted to him... There's no shame for you in the future. If you're willing to come to Him, if you're willing to confess and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, there's, there's only glory for you. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about a prayer, right? This is about actions. This is what you're doing. So Romans 10 is tough. Romans is tough. But I think maybe some of the things we've talked about today maybe will help you as you think through um, the sinner's prayer and talk to some of your friends uh, that are struggling with this. Uh, it demands more study, right? This is too big of an issue uh, to just have one lesson on. And so you need to go back through and study this on your own and dig into this and figure, um, find the context for yourself. And so I encourage you to do that. Um, this evening if you uh, need the prayers of this congregation uh, we would love to pray with you that you are who God wants you to be we've had so many um, tender hearts over the last couple of months 
uh, that have come forward wanting to do what's right, wanting to be righteous, uh, to know that they're on God's side. And that's really, that's really what Romans 10 is about. Whose side are you on? You're on God's side or are you not? And so it's decision time. If you've not been baptized into Christ, you're not on His side. Um, that needs to happen first. You need to be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away. Uh, then you become on His side. But maybe you're, maybe you're struggling this evening and you just you need a little bit of encouragement. We want to do that uh, for you. We want to encourage you in any way we can. If you have any need tonight, why don't you stand and sing? Or come as we stand and sing. Uh, a couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, as a reminder, at 2 o'clock uh, here in uh, less than 15 minutes, we'll be heading over to Wingate to sing uh, at the nursing home. So everybody, uh, please come join us for that. Also, um, I remember that the egg hunt is this Saturday uh, at 11 o'clock. Uh, Wednesday will be the last day you can bring your candy-filled eggs. Also, the bus will be leaving uh, this Saturday for the Ladies' Day at 8 o'clock in the morning if you're planning on going to that. And uh, Stepping Stones is next Wednesday. Uh, breakfast is on the menu. And Flatwoods Gospel Meeting is April 24th through the 26th. Uh, remember in our daily prayers, Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Haney, Terry Leap, Daryl Hall, and Amber Spitzer at this time. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. closing song will be number 219. We'll sing this song and have our closing prayer.
Father, thank you that we don't have to be persecuted as those Romans Christians were uh, as we gather here and learn your word and attempt to persevere in it. And please, Lord, continue to bless us as we persevere in your word. Thank you for this wonderful day. And may your word help us focus on everything that we have in you. Thank you for the family that we have in each other. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 